Chapter thirty nine of the Coast of Bohemia by William Dean Howells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter thirty nine. Cornelia and Ludlow were married at Pymantoning in the latter part of June, and he spent the summer there working at a picture which he was going to exhibit in the fall. At the same time, he worked at a good many other pictures, and he helped Cornelia with the things she was trying he painted passages and incidents in her pictures sometimes illustratively and sometimes for the pleasure of having their lives blended in their work and he tried to see how nearly he could lose his work in hers he pretended that he learned more than he taught in the process and that he felt in her efforts a determining force a clear sense of what she wanted to do that gave positive form and direction to what was vague and speculative in himself he was strenuous that she should not in the slightest degree lapse from her ideal and purpose or should cease to be an artist in becoming a wife he contended that there was no real need of that and though it had happened to most of the many cases where artists had married artists he held that it had happened through the man's selfishness and thoughtlessness and not through the conditions he was resolved that cornelia should not lose faith in herself from want of his appreciation or from her own overvaluation of his greater skill and school and he could prove it to any one who listened that she had the rarer gift she did not persuade her with all his reasons but her mother faithfully believed him it had never seemed surprising to her that cornelia should win a man like ludlow she saw no reason why cornelia should not and she could readily accept the notion of cornelia's superiority when he advanced it she was not arrogant about it she was simply and entirely satisfied and she was every moment so content with cornelia's husband that cornelia herself had to be a little critical of him in self-defence she called him a dreamer and theorist she ran him down to the burtons and said he would never come to anything because artists who talked well never painted so well she allowed that he talked divinely and it would not have been safe for mrs burton to agree with her otherwise but mrs burton was far too wise a woman to do so she did not perhaps ride so high a horse as mrs saunders in her praises of ludlow but it would have been as impossible to unseat her she regarded herself as somehow the architect of cornelia's happiness in having discovered ludlow and believed in him long before cornelia met him and she could easily see that if he had not come out to visit burton that first time they would never have met at all mrs saunders could joyfully admit this without in the least relinquishing her own belief so inarticulate that it was merely part of her personal consciousness that this happiness was of as remote an origin as the foundations of the world she could see now that nothing else could have been intended from the beginning but she did not fail at the same time to credit herself with forethought and wisdom in bracing cornelia against the overtures of dickerson when he reappeared in her life burton of course advanced no claim to recognition in the affair he enjoyed every moment of ludlow's stay in pymantoning and gave his work a great deal of humorous attention and gratuitous criticism especially the picture he was chiefly engaged upon this when it was shown at the county fair where ludlow chose to enter it before he took it back to new york with him in the fall did not keep the crowd away from the trotting matches and it did not take either the first or the second premium in fact if the critics of the metropolis were right in their judgment of it when it appeared later in the academy it did not deserve either of them they said that it was an offence to those who had hoped better things of the painter as time went on with him and who would now find themselves snubbed by this return to his worst manner here they said was his palate again with a tacit invitation to the public 
to make what it liked of the colors as children did with the embers on the hearth or the frost on the window you paid your money and you took your choice as to what mr ludlow meant by this extraordinary performance if he really meant anything at all as far as it could be made out with the naked eye it represented a clump of hollyhocks with a slim shadowy and uncertain young girl among them and the painter had apparently wished to suggest a family resemblance among them all to this end he had emphasized some facts of the girl's dress accessories to his purpose the petal-edged ruffle of her crimson silk waist the flower-like flare of her red hat and its finials of knotted ribbon and in the hollyhocks he had recognized a girlishness of bearing which he evidently hoped would appeal to a fantastic sympathy in the spectator the piece was called hollyhocks it might equally well be called girls though when you had called it one or the other it would be hard to say just what you were to do about it especially with the impression curiously left by the picture that whether it was a group of girls or a clump of hollyhocks they were not in very good humour the moment chosen if one might judge from some suggestions of light was that just before the breaking of a thunderstorm the girl if it was a girl had flashed into sight round the corner of the house where the hollyhocks if they were hollyhocks were blowing outward in the first gust of the storm it could not be denied that there was something fine in the wild toss and pull of the flowers with the abandon of the storm in them this was the best thing in the piece it was probably intended to express a moment of electric passion but there was something so forced and at the same time so ineffectual in the execution of the feebly fantastic design that it became the duty of impartial criticism to advise mr ludlow that if he must continue to paint at all to paint either girls or flowers but not both at once or both together or convertibly ludlow did not mind these criticisms much being pretty well used to that kind of thing and feeling secure of his public in any event but cornelia was deeply vexed she knew that it must be evident to those who knew her and knew him that she was the girl and she was the hollyhocks and though the origin of the picture was forever hid in the memories of their first meeting she was aware of a measure of justice in the censure that condemned it for obscurity she had not wished him to show it but here as often elsewhere she found him helplessly to yield to her even though he confessed that she was right he did not try to justify himself and he did not explain himself very clearly i don't know how it is about one's work exactly up to a certain point you are master over it and it seems to belong absolutely to you but beyond that it is its own master and does what it pleases with itself of course i could have kept from showing that picture and yet i must well at least then you can keep from selling it said cornelia i want it give it to me my dear i will buy it for you mrs maybough became the owner of the picture yesterday but i will offer her an advance on the price she paid cornelia now thought she was really angry with him for the first time since their marriage she would not speak at once but when she did speak it was to say no let her keep it i know charmian made her buy it and i wouldn't like to take it from her she has so much imagination that maybe she can see some meaning in it and it will always be such a pleasure to her to explain it even if she can't charmian made the ludlows a bohemian dinner as soon as the people whom she wanted got back to town she said it was a bohemian dinner and she asked artists mostly but of course she had the wesleys and their friend mrs rangeley there were several of the synthesis girls who said the synthesis would never be itself again without cornelia and there were some of the students nice fellows whom charmian had liked there were of course the wetmores ludlow's picture was in evidence in a place of honour especially created for it 
and wetmore said when they sat down at dinner well ludlow all this company can tell where you got your hollyhocks cornelia turned the color of the reddest in the picture and wetmore recognized her consciousness with the added remark oh you'll be in all his imaginative pictures now mrs ludlow that's the fate of the wife of an imaginative painter but you really must get him to keep you out of his portraits charmian checked herself in a wild laugh and sent cornelia a look of fond and proud intelligence which mrs rangeley tapped as it were on its way up the length of the table oh mrs ludlow she entreated what is it i hope it isn't professional envy is he afraid of mr ludlow becoming too popular ludlow answered for his wife mrs rangeley that was worthy even of you and he boldly kissed his hand to her the dinner was remembered for several weeks as one of the pleasantest people had ever been at and it established mrs maybough in such social acceptance that she was asked to the first of the wesley dinners where swells prevailed and where she was as null as any of them but although charmian was apparently radiant the whole evening and would hardly let cornelia go away at the end she wanted her to stay so and talk it over she had a girl's perverseness in not admitting the perfection of the occasion to mrs maybough when she said well my dear i hope your dinner was bohemian enough for you bohemian she retorted it wasn't bohemian at all you oughtn't to have taken the ladies away at coffee they ought to have stayed and had cigarettes with a gentleman my dear you know that the mere smell of tobacco makes you sick no matter i should if i could only have seen cornelia ludlow smoking i should have been willing to die and now now i'm afraid she's going to be perfectly respectable end of chapter thirty nine end of the coast of bohemia by william dean howells